we need to cry we need to talk we need to share our feelings and if one person does it then two people do it then ten people do it and Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dilbout. And every week I talk to a different person, a person who I'm curious about and I want to get to know. And last week we started a series that I recorded live at the Emerge Music Festival in Las Vegas. I did a lounge with a company that I love so much called Little Space. They're a digital wellness company and they've sponsored the podcast in the past and we partnered. Their founder, Kim, is a friend of mine and we did a lounge at this music festival. And to hear more about the music festival, I had the founder on last week. His name is Rayhan. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But essentially this music festival brings together art and activism And one of the people at this festival was today's guest, Whitney Bell. And Whitney Bell is a event producer, the founder of The Stories of Women, which you'll hear about here. She's a writer for Teen Vogue and the owner of this really cool shop. And I just liked her a lot. I think you'll really like this episode. We talk about building a team and leading a team. We talk about dating. We talk about therapy a lot. She has this prolific therapist named Jennifer who gives some really great insights to her, which she then shares with all of us. One of them is something called the spoon theory, which I had never heard before. And we get to it about halfway through this episode, but it's been life-changing for me. And then something else about dating and romantic relationships, which again was very eye-opening. I learned a lot in this episode. I think you will too. I think you'll love Whitney as much as I did. And I want to get to it as quickly as possible. If you like this podcast, share it. You can get the show notes and all the links of everything I talked about sent right to your inbox if you would like to. The link to that is in the show notes. You can just click on that on your phone. I have a couple of things coming up. I will be doing a yoga event at the Hoxton Hotel in Williamsburg with my friend and previous podcast guest, Clara. And Clara is a dating and relationships coach. And we're partnering with the Hoxton to do this event on July 17th in Williamsburg. So if you're in New York, you should definitely come and mark your calendars for August 14th in Manhattan. I'm doing a huge launch event for something big that I'm launching. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. I'll tell you more later. But stick around to the very end of this episode because that's when I share my LNL section of the podcast, which is my likes and learn section. So I share things that I've been liking and things that I've been learning in the last week. Stick around till then. I'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, enjoy my conversation recorded live at the Emerge Music Festival with Whitney Bell. I have a new obsession, you guys. It's my Vertruvi 
diffuser. It's this beautifully crafted stone diffuser that doubles as decor. It's stunningly simple. It has this matte finish. It's ceramic. I have the black one, but I hear the white one's the best seller. And this company, Vertruvi, is really cool. They create essential oil products that help you live a more naturally and sophisticated life. <laughs> and honestly, it just really elevates my mood to have these oils diffusing in my room. There are blends that you can have in the morning that that trigger waking up and being energized and then blends that you can put in in the evening that tell your body to wind down and relax. It's something intentional to do. If you haven't played around with having a diffuser or having essential oils, this is the time to start. And I really think that the aesthetic of this diffuser is lovely because it's something you see in your house. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I just, I really like that it's not plastic, that it's really beautiful. It's a great alternative to a candle and scents really make a space intentional and beautiful. And this is a non-toxic alternative that can be more sustainable. And this company's great. They make their essential oils 100% pure and they allow you to have these kind of 10 second spa moments. You know what I mean? They give you this simple way to carve out a quick moment of wellness for yourself in the middle of the day. And I just, I really love it. So if you want to check them out, highly recommend it. At Vertruvi.com, you'll get 20% off with the code Let It Out. So Vertruvi, 20% off with the code Let It Out. I love them so much, and I really think you guys will too. I love Cara Vitamins. I've been using them for a very long time. And they're just my favorite. You go to their website, you take a little quiz, it tells you which vitamins and supplements are right for you, and then it sends them to your door in beautiful packaging, personalized with your name on it, which I just think is really great. They're so easy for on the go. You just stick them in your bag. They're great for travel. And you know, with the winter blues coming to an end, it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your best. Give yourself support this new season with a boost of whatever you're looking for. Maybe it's more energy. Maybe it's better sleep. Maybe it's to help lessen your stress or it's something else to make you feel your best. Care-of has all of your needs. They even have these new protein powders, which I'm loving. They have this plant-based one that I've been putting in my smoothies, and I think you guys would really like it too. To get 30% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit takecareof.com and enter the code Katie30. Again, that's Katie, K-A-T-I-E, 3030. And this is good for the remainder of the year. So go ahead and get your care of vitamins. Again, that's 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com and enter the code Katie30 at checkout. I love care of and I really think you will too. So wonderful, so flattering. You are just like have the best style. Everything Thank I've you. seen from you. I yeah. felt like if I'm gonna go head to toe Vegas, I mean head to toe leopard, yes. where is a better place yes. than Vegas? You it's, don't get a lot of working. opportunities for yes. Actually, I've worn this exact outfit like six or seven times. So I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I couldn't Thank you so much for doing this, Whitney. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Since I I was worried about the cat. No, no, no. I I just am worried about a head injury, but like you're going to be, you're going to be fine. The cactus looked like it was moving, but it's fine. 
I've been so excited to talk to you. <laughs> Great. I'm and just worried about it. I feel a problem. <laughs> no, I'm worried too. I'm worried too. And I'm going to forget. And then <laughs> I feel far from you, but I, it's okay. We'll, we'll hug and snuggle we're after still, this. It's so cozy. Yes. yes. Great. As long as you feel cozy. That is I'm the goal cozy. of Let It Out is for everyone to feel cozy. I really do. Anyway, I've been so excited to talk to you ever since I discovered the plethora of cool things you do. And I, I really don't even know where to begin because you are really the definition of a multi-hyphenate with all of the things that you do, but you are a master of all. Like you are the opposite of a master of none. Everything you do, you do well. Well, not always and not all the time. And because I failed a lot at a lot of things too, (laughs) but thank you. But you don't, but I don't see those and I would, I would never see. That's what I think it's important to say though, because People are like, oh, you're talented at so many things. And I want to be like, I think a lot of people are talented at so many things, but they're afraid of trying because they're afraid of failing. And I'm like, yeah, I've failed more than I've succeeded. Yeah. It, I think it's so it's it. so good to say that. Yeah, exactly. Because that's exactly what we don't see. So of all of your projects, what are you most excited about right now? Well, to be totally honest, the thing I'm the most excited about hasn't launched yet, so I can't talk about it, but... You'll I come think back it's going to be the coolest thing that I have done Ooh. ever. But the thing I am currently doing that I'm super excited about and will continue into the future and is also very dope <laughs> that I should be upselling <laughs> um, is my current vulnerability variety show series. It's That's called so cool. Stories of Women. Um, it is a traveling, storytelling, live music, comedy, and poetry series. And each new edition... Um, has a new theme that's an undiscussed emotion. So stories of jealousy, stories of shame, stories of abortion, etc. And each one is thrown in partnership with a different nonprofit. And we have a show at the end of the year at the Apollo in New York, which I'm still like pinching myself about. Um, And that's going to be stories of shame with the Women's Prison Association. Um, And we already have a ton of really incredible acts um, lined up and... This series to me has just been a a really incredible way to like sort of literally pass the mic. Mm -hmm. I tell my own story all the time, right? I talk about my own rape. I talk about my own abortion. I I talk about all kinds of things. And my voice as a white woman in this activist community can only go so far. And so I was trying to think about how can I best amplify the voices of others? And I was like, well, just you throw events, just give them a stage and ask them to talk about something they don't normally talk about. And that's the thing I found to be really powerful about this is like Shirley Manson, who's the uh, lead singer of garbage was like backstage shaking at our first show. Like her hands were trembling. I was like, what you sell out in stadiums? Why are you nervous? There's 400 people. She's like, well, I never talk about myself. I always talk about my work or I always talk about this. And, and these people, we had, um, Nadia Okamoto, who at the time was a 20-year-old founder of a global youth-run nonprofit called Period. And she talked about, it was at our Jealousy show, and she told a story she never told before. And this girl is a TED speaker who flies all over the world to talk about all kinds of things. And she was like, I've never told this story before. And she talked about 
how her father like emotionally sexually abused her growing up. He never physically did anything, but he would dress her up in heels, take her shopping for nice things, and then bring her to like work events as his date and put his hand on the small of her back. And (sighs) she was like, you know, it's weird. I look back on my childhood and those are my favorite memories. And she's like with my father and she's like, it's so messed up. And she's like, and as I was a teenager and he started dating, she's like, I got jealous of his girlfriends. Mm. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about that aspect of parental abuse in that specific of a way, let alone a 20-year-old who's unpacking it for the first time on stage. Yeah. It was powerful and, and you know, it was from our first show and it's still one of my favorite things. So, I don't know. I feel like we've tapped into something there. And along with these really established voices, we always showcase new voices. So, we always have teenage poets and we've worked with tons of different city local nonprofits that work with underprivileged youth through poetry. There's one in almost every single city and they're all sort of part of this like networking community of helping each other, which is great, even though they're completely separate entities. So we've partnered with them. And and so in every city we go to, they give us one, if not more teens, and they've always been just tremendous. And all of the content can be found on our website, thestoriesofwomen.com. So they're like TED Talks of female vulnerability, basically. It's so it's so wonderful. When I discovered that the tagline of the show is so wonderful, a vulnerability variety show. Like, I love the alliteration. It's so perfect. An audience member said that to me afterwards. I was like, that is what it yes yes that is yes. what it is you did it <laughs> yes it's it's so great and and you touched on really what i wanted to talk about with this but i wrote down something that you had on your instagram recently and you basically said this but you said as a white woman telling my story can only go so far the most effective way i can help is by giving a stage to those with stories different from mine different privilege, fewer privilege, simply different lives. And I'm just underlining that because you you basically already said that, but it's it really is true of, you know, you can only do so much sharing your own story and so to bring people together in this way that's not only really vulnerable but also entertaining because you bring, you know, comedy and it it's just it's really really cool and it it's such a it's so aligned to what I'm doing with, you know, we're letting out what we call soft stories, which are these tender, vulnerable, essentially the exact same thing. And I think the long form podcast really speaks to that and what you're doing, bringing that to a live event is, is really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was also kind of born from the fact that I, through all the work that I've done, I'm really, really lucky to surround myself with this incredible network of women and women with loud voices them who are using them and women who have talents of in all different mediums and so i also wanted to do something to combine all of those women how do i work with all of you at once and i find with women in general at least in my experience it's been like such a 100 percent collaborative experience and everything we do anytime i hit up a female founder friend or you know a musician or whatever they're willing to lend their time or their contacts or their resources. And I do not see that as much in the male world. And I also feel like 
women are often so painted as like catty and backstabbing yeah. and climbing, you know, but in reality, I've never had anything but the opposite experience. And we're like, dude, we're all in this together because nobody else is helping. Right, <laughs> right. That's so true. It's also been my experience. Yeah. So yeah. this is just my way of being like, hey, let's all get together in this big group and help each other. And yeah, it's been great. What were you like as a kid? Let's go way back. I think I heard you say in another podcast that you would be so proud of everything you're you're doing now. And it was pretty aligned to what you wanted to be when you grew up. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? I don't know that it was aligned to what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I, and I don't think there's any way I could have predicted what I'd be doing because my job is so weird and disparate. And I still don't even really know what my job is. Yeah, that's how I feel. And it, <laughs> parts of it didn't exist. Yeah, ex- yes, exactly, exactly. We're such a weird generation because we had that, we have memories of both. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes us really unique. And I think it's really shaped the way that we use social media. Anyways, I was wild and you grew up in LA I grew up in Pasadena yeah right outside LA and was in the city a lot getting into trouble as a teenager but as a kid I I was like spunky and wild and I needed more attention than I was getting at home and to your brothers and sisters I have two sisters I have one who's four years older than me and then a half sister who's 20 years older than me and she has three amazing daughters who are teenagers so I have three teenage nieces and I get to be the like sometimes perhaps too cool aunt perhaps boundaries get crossed no such thing (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's hard when you're closer to the kids age than you are to their mother's age yeah yeah I mean I'm super close with my sister it's just an interesting dynamic right interesting yeah um but I struggled a lot as a kid there was like sexual abuse for me growing up and I think I really needed help and I really needed somebody to notice and because of some other family situations, we were around therapists all the time and we were constantly like going to therapy practices and things like that after school, but it wasn't for me. I was always like in the waiting room. And and so it was hard to be around that much help and to know mm-hmm. that I needed it and to not be able to ask for it. And so that really affected my ability to process my trauma or more specifically my ability to put away my trauma, (laughs) to not process my trauma, which served me well for a long time, right? Our brain is powerful. Yeah. And when we're kids and it it knows how to protect us, but it manifested in a lot of really unhealthy coping mechanisms that started really, really young Mm. that were also me asking for help. I was very consistently, at least once a day, binging and purging Mm -hmm. from like 11 years old onwards. And, you know, when a kid is doing something like that, there's only very few reasons. Clearly there's something going on. And we all know that most eating disorders aren't actually about appearance, they're about control. And and especially when you're that young. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that the patriarchy is not instilling values of feminine beauty to us <laughs> like in the womb. But yeah, it just, I had a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms and it wasn't until I was really forced to confront all of my trauma that I started to even recognize what had happened. When, when was that? And what, what helped? Therapy and medication. <laughs> and self-reflection and a lot of work and a lot of mistakes 
and a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms. They, Did you, when you were young, get help for the eating disorder? Or how, how old no. were you when you finally? I, I got put in therapy when I was about 16, but I didn't want to be there at that point. So it didn't do anything. And also my parents put me into therapy with a man, which I think is a really weird choice for your teenage daughter, regardless of the circumstances. Right. And this is not to say there are so many amazing male therapists and so many amazing men, right? I'm not, but I think if you have any inclination of your child of any gender having sexual trauma, you shouldn't be putting them in with a male therapist. Yeah. And, and I think most that? therapists would recommend yeah. the same. So that really just didn't help me. And I never, it was never a useful tool for me. And then it made me really averse to therapy in my adult life because I was like, well, I tried that and it was terrible and it didn't do anything. You didn't feel comfortable. Correct. Yeah. And let's see, it wasn't until I was about 20, I just turned 27 and my father died really suddenly. Mm-hmm. He had a heart attack and... I'm so sorry. It is what it is. Yeah. But thank you. So that in and of itself, like, you know, extreme grief makes you like question everything you're doing. And at the same time, some sort of long lost family members came back into my life because of the death. And and that stirred up a lot of trauma for me as well. So all of this happened all at the same time. And I was not in therapy. I was unmedicated and undiagnosed at that point. And I was just like spiraling out. And it was one of those like, oh, I'm going to therapy right now. I'm going three times a week and this is an emergency. And please, can you see me tonight? Kind of situations. And I was really, really lucky to have the resources to be able to give myself that kind of help. And most people don't. And I, I, it was a crash course in dealing with my childhood sexual trauma with just my sort of more standard familial trauma with all, and then with the trauma that I inflicted on myself in the two decades uh, afterwards. What else was going on in your life during that time, career-wise and relationship-wise? So like two weeks before my dad passed, I had broken up with my boyfriend and moved out of where we were living together and moved into a new place. With a huge storm on your entire life. It was kind of wild. And I had just gotten a dog, the like tiniest, oh cutest, God. most adorable, like little trash puppy dumpster rescue trauma puppy. And he's five pounds, four ounces, which is like smaller than a newborn baby. Like a little preemie. Um, he's so cute. Anyways, so I... You still have him? Yes. What's his name? Nugget, little nug. Um, yeah. So basically, my life was already at this big crossroads, right? Yeah, like a big bomb went off. Exactly. And and I had lived not just with the guy I was dating, but with a ton of our friends. It was sort of like like adult dorms. It was like sort of too much, right? And we'd been living together since we were twenty. 324 when you're when at least I was still in a phase where I was like making a lot of bad choices where I was like being reckless and partying and just not really taking care of myself at all and that was sort of the culture of where we were living so moving out of that place and into my own place was really like sort of a big mm-hmm. shift for me anyways and it was right about that time that all of this happened I was working as an art director at this fine jewelry line 
And it was really fun. And I got to big budgets and got to, sh- you know, shoot with all of these famous models. And, but I wasn't fulfilled. And about, let's see, my dad died in October, about six months, almost, yeah, almost to the day after my father passed, I threw the dick pic show, which you know yes, about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which sort of was the about. very first thing that like kind of put me on the map or, or, uh, and it was a, extreme physical manifestation of my trauma. It was me putting my trauma up in a gallery space and saying, here, world, you take this. For everyone listening, can you talk about, it's called (laughs) A Lifetime of Dick Pics. What is it? Yeah, there's actually, that's the abridged name. It's called I Didn't Ask for This, A Lifetime of Dick Pics. Oh, great. (laughs) Um, Which I have tattooed on me. (laughs) You do? Well, just I didn't ask for this on the back of my neck. Oh, I love that. Which some people are like, did you get that tattoo like accidentally? Like, did you not know what it was going to say just because of the weird? Anyways, <laughs> I was going to say the full, the full title would be very long. It's but super I, long. So you have to, and yeah. also the, all the media around it has had just kind of started calling it that dick pic show because it got so much. I'll just explain. Yes. For, for, for her. <laughs> I threw a traveling anti-harassment sort of feminist festival. Let's start, uh, that was, I collected 200 unsolicited dick pics from like every woman I knew and like feminist groups and set them up in a gallery space that was 3,000 square feet of the inside of a woman's home. So bedroom, bathroom, living room, kitchen, down to like the silverware. It was so Almost specific. like being in a dollhouse. Yes, with dicks. almost <laughs> like, exactly. But then like hundreds and hundreds of photos of penises and the awful messages that accompany them, right? On dating apps and on text message conversations, um, as well as stats on harassment and sort of quotes from women who've experienced this kind of stuff, which is all women or anyone living in a femme body. And along with that, we had artwork from about 40 different artists. Um, My tattoo artist boyfriend at the time was tattooing. We had a bar and DJs and it, that was the, the, I'd never thrown anything in my entire life. I quit my job two weeks before to do this. I got a a pretty small amount, not a small, but not a huge amount of money from my father's passing. And I used a decent chunk of that to throw this. I had no idea what I was doing at all. And a thousand people showed up opening night. Wow. I didn't even sell tickets. Like, I was just like, I hope somebody comes. Like, I, and there is a line down the block and I was so overwhelmed. Like, my friends were taking out the trash. Like, I hadn't even thought about, like, a cash box for the bar. Like, I really had, I was such a novice at that point. But it just shows that, like, you can do something without any knowledge and you can mess up a thousand ways and still have it be a huge success. And I don't think a single person that went to that would know that anything was go- what had gone wrong, right? Right. And or what you were going through at the time. R- exactly. And Vice came and they wrote an article about it. And basically the next day it was like I was on the BBC was calling me and NPR and, and Playboy and Ms. Magazine and women's my like everywhere, all these weird disparate outlets. And it was kind of one of those like viral whirlwinds that you hear about. And then when it's happening to you, you're just like, what? Uh, And suddenly I was like the dick pic girl, which I guess I could have foreseen, right? Like I knew this would be popular, but I didn't really understand the magnitude of of what would happen. And then we ended up touring with it. And by the end, it was 
like a three-day sort of festival. We had a full day of sex education workshops so and like cool. blowjob workshops and, and consensual sex things. And then we had a full day of educational panels and we were lucky to get some really incredible panelists and parties. And it was a really incredible experience for me that taught me so much and it allowed me a platform to talk about not just harassment, but about all different kinds of things. It kind of pigeonholed me for a while into this sort of sex activist bracket. And that's an amazing and needed thing. And I do talk about sex and I do talk about women's health. But the super interesting thing about that to me was that I was never talking about sex with that show. I was talking about harassment and sex and harassment aren't the same things. Unsolicited dick pics are not sex. It's not about sex for anyone. It's about control. It's about power. When you scream at a woman from a car, you don't think she's going to flag you down and be like, oh my God, I'd love to like sit on your lap. Like, no, that's the same thing as a dick pic. When you're using it as like a, hey, what's up? Hello on Tinder. You're not expecting like a spread labia shot in return. Right. Right. (laughs) And I heard at the show you had some interesting things happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had the weirdest experiences because of like on truly some of the weirdest experiences. Um, Somebody showed up and publicly masturbated at our show in San Francisco, which I was like, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this. We've had guys flash. The weirder things to me have been sort of the emails and the messages I've gotten, you know, a lot of them are super predictable. I would say the vast majority of them. At this point, since the first show, I have now received hundreds, if not thousands of dick pics from men because of it, like to the point where it's all just like filed away wow. by someone that works for me. <laughs> but the the messages usually contain one of two things or one of two overarching messages, which is one, Am I allowed to curse? Yes, okay. yes, yes. I just want to make sure. <laughs> One, it's like, I fucking hate you. Like, how could you do this? You're a disgrace. Here's a photo of my balls, <laughs> right? That's very often the message. And the other is, too, is please, oh my God, I'll do anything. I just want to be put in the gallery show. I will get a professional photographer. Photograph. I'll do whatever you want. Give me a direction. <laughs> One guy wrote me like the most monolithic email that I've ever seen. I I never even read through the whole thing because it was so long and it was called Diary of a Flasher. And he sent it from an email address that was like the name was actually John Doe. I was like, you don't have to be that. Okay, like whatever. (laughs) And it detailed starting from his like young, you know, adolescence through his, what I believe is a middle-aged life Every time he's publicly flashed, publicly masturbated, like just the most specific insane stuff. And then attached to like 30 photos of his dick from various angles with like some of them. He painted it in some. He like done crazy filters and editing on some. He was like trying all these different maneuvers. And I was like, I don't think you understand the point of this, guys. This isn't for you to show off your, okay. Whatever. (laughs) It's interesting. I'm so happy that this had so much success and it launched, you you know, your career in different ways. But do you think that looking back, it was a way to cope with the everything going on in your life at that time? And did you eventually have to process it outside of throwing? Because I find it so useful and cathartic to 
there are worse ways to cope than throwing yourself into a really useful project or work, you know, but did you feel like you eventually had to go back into therapy and what oh, so happened I next? was in therapy from that very first time when I got into That's therapy. Right. I have stayed in therapy since then. When you were 27. Ther- yes. Great. Shout out to my therapist slash mom, Jennifer, for the, all the reparenting. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much, Jennifer. Actually, like my roommate sees her, a bunch of oh, our other amazing. friends see her because it's one of those things where I'm like, and you should go talk yes. to her and you should go talk to her. I do that with my therapist too. When you find a good one, right? But yeah, so I've been in there. And I think a lot of the reason I was able to do the addictive therapy, even process my trauma enough to even get it to that point, right? Which was still very much a pro, like had so much to go was because of the like six months of work I'd been doing with her. Because until that point, I hadn't even really acknowledged, right? I knew what had happened to me, but I'd never thought about it. I never like let it in. I just kept sleeping with really inappropriate guys. I kept engaging with my eating disorder. I kept doing drugs. I kept self-harming in a whole myriad of ways, right? And this show only further made me sort of confront that stuff, but it also commodified my trauma. It also made it, a soundbite, right? I'm talking about it right now. At least right now I'm talking about the reality of it, right? But for so long, I was having to sell and package my trauma. And to a certain extent, I still do that with some stuff. But with this, it it felt different. There's a comical aspect to this show in everybody's minds. And it's true. It's needed. And I did it on purpose because otherwise it's not palatable for people, right? But being the dick pit girl can become trite, but what you're talking yeah. about is like your childhood trauma. So it was really complicated for me. And the thing I think that was the most complicated and the thing I really didn't see coming was the fact that, as I said, this is all set up inside of a home, right? Full recreation. I didn't have any money. We used all my stuff. It was my bed. It's my couch. It's all my lamps and chair. It was everything. So my house is empty while this is all happening, oh right? So then you bring your we stuff We move back. in and out. We move in and out and wow. in and out. And that wasn't, I mean, that was exhausting, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was that once the show was based on my house, but at a certain point it flipped. And when I was in my house, I felt like I was in the show. And it didn't matter that there weren't dicks all over the walls. It was like the same artwork and the same yeah. accessories and the same everything. And I hadn't anticipated that. And it sort of started to become traumatizing just being in my house. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize that I didn't, right? I didn't understand what was happening. And finally, it's like, okay, we need to paint. Like, we need to do something. Let, let's reupholster the couch. Like, and as soon as I started doing that, I felt this like crazy weight lift off wow. of me. And it's such a weird thing, your surroundings, yeah. right? But it really mattered so wow. much. Wow. I've been thinking about that a lot, a lot, a lot lately. I need to move apartments and I have not been wanting to be home. And in New York City, it's very easy to be doing something at every second of the day. And after this breakup that I had, being there just feels isolating and suffocating. And I want to, I already took everything off the walls, but it just something about that room. And hearing you say that, that a weight lifted, I feel like it really is true how our surroundings affect us in ways we're not even aware. 
Yeah, 100%, especially in times of transition, right? Yeah. I mean, it even harks back to what I said earlier. I moved out of that one house and into a new one right before all this like sort of trauma struck. And that was a huge transition mm-hmm. too. And like our, our spaces are bookmarks for us, I think yeah. often, or they can be. Yeah. So They're what bookmarks. is one thing during that time or just in general, maybe a couple that Jennifer insights that she gave you or things you've gleaned from therapy that have been useful oh, in processing your trauma. Like everything, every day is golden with her. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds magical. She's like a total empath. There have been sessions where I will go in there and just close my eyes and basically like do a guided meditation and like be silently crying. And she'll be like, oh, something shifted and now you're in a different place. And I'm like, how did you know that? What's happening? But (laughs) two things come up right away. Um, Are you familiar with the spoons theory? No. You're going to love it. Great. You guys are all going to love it. Every person I've ever told has like, this has changed the way that I deal with my energy levels. Let me start by saying that I'm an introvert and I present like an extrovert, but like a lot of really public people we truly are very introverted and interactions with other human beings can be draining. Yeah. And that's true for everybody, right? Like too much human interaction. Totally. Right? Too and much of anything. Too much of anything. And the spoons theory was something created for people who have chronic pain or chronic illness, but it's applicable to everyone. And it's the notion that we all wake up with a certain amount of spoons every day. And maybe it's a hundred and maybe you have 30 and maybe you have zero that time but every interaction you have with somebody takes them away and they can take away different amounts depending on the interaction. And there's very few people in your lives who might be able to give you some spoons, but not every time you interact with them, but sometimes. And if you're not careful, by the end of the day, you can go negative. And if you go negative, you'll wake up negative and it can pull over and pull over and pull over. And so it's been helpful for me in two ways. One, so that I can talk to the people in my life and be like, yo, I know we have plans, but like, I just don't have any more spoons. Yes. Or like, you know what? I just can't go to that one meeting. I'm going to have to reschedule it because I just, even that 15 minute conversation is just going to take away too many spoons. And also you're aware of not exactly. feeling bad about- It holds me accountable, not just for not feeling bad, but it holds me accountable to myself. I'm like, I have to do that inventory of like, do I have two left or do I have 10? Like, let's be realistic with myself about how the end of this day is going to feel or how tomorrow is going to feel. And it's been like, it's just a really helpful thing to have like a a tangible visualization. I needed that. That was like a watershed moment for me because I tend to be a time optimist and an overscheduler and I judge myself over how productive I can be. And that takes a lot of spoons. And it's very depleting. I loved that. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. I have one more Jennifer-ism, but I think I'm going to touch on something you said first, but remind me that I have one more, because it's a good one. And it's also just, it's like a, it's more of a bummer one than that one. It's a twist the knife for most people one. (laughs) But what we were just saying about, what were you just saying? Being a time optimist and judging myself. Yeah. And I'm the same, right? Multi-hyphenate, I try to fit 90,000 things in. And burnout was something I really experienced last year to a way more extreme degree than I even thought possible. I had shingles for a month as a 30-year-old, which is something like 70-year-olds get. Like this is like, it's usually you get when you're like bedridden. I also had burnout last year and I got hives, which is, yeah, yeah, same. 
Skin stuff. Yeah. Stress and skin stuff. Great. <laughs> yeah. So I had shingles for a month and couldn't leave my house. Oh. And then immediately following that, I had um, a migraine, like a really intense migraine for three weeks. And I never had it before. And it was so bad. I like, I couldn't have the window shades open. Like I'm not a super dramatic person. It, it, it was very intense and it was 100% stress related. And it made me like reevaluate my priorities and especially working in sort of the activism world. You're like, Oh, well this work is more important than mm. me or, Oh, I can, I can push it and I can push it. And I'm not as important as I've got more spoons. I've got more spoons. It's okay. I don't need that many. It's okay. But it's like, no, you need to like put on your own mask and then put on yep. your child's. Right. So 2019 has been the year of saying no to stuff. And like, I've said no to like really great opportunities and really just cool things that in, if you had told me a year ago that I was like going to turn down throwing a show at the Brooklyn Museum, I'd be like, you're insane. But I was like, no, I can't. I can't do this to me. I can't do this to my staff. Like, and I have found that like the right opportunities end up happening because yeah. I said no to other stuff. And, and I'm just like a happier, more stable human for it. Like truly the last like six months where I've been practicing this has really helped and saying no to people and saying no to going to stuff. <laughs> I really need to learn this lesson. It's super helpful. It's scary though, because you feel like, you know, as someone who judges myself based on, you know, these arbitrary things like productivity and you have to find your self-worth inside of you because you're not able to take it from those things when you're saying no and thinking they'll never come again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially as a woman, we're so conditioned to saying yes to accommodating, yeah. to just appeasing everybody and taking on and taking on and taking on and putting ourselves on the back burner, right? That's like what the matriarch of a family does. Yeah. That's what we're taught to be. And so it's it's an even more of an unlearning process for us, I think. Yes. And I want to remind you to go back to your other Jennifer. My other Jenniferism. Mm-hmm. So this is like a less cheery one. It's about dating. I haven't had a serious boyfriend in four years since since I broke up with that guy, since my dad died, all that stuff. And, and it's been very intentional. I've always mothered every single guy I've ever dated. And that's on me, right? Not on them. But I have chosen people that can be like a succubus of that energy, right? Who are like, because I keep giving and giving, they keep taking and taking and taking. And some of those were very good, kind people, but that was the dynamic. And um. I recently got out of like a couple month little fling with someone who turned out to be like a complete raging narcissist, but with like a mindfulness complex, <laughs> you know, like he had the mindful wellness jargon down. Oh, He's like God. the evolved yeah. fuck boy, which is yeah. like this new thing. Do you know what I'm talking totally. about? Like, uh, you know, he does a lot of yoga and, but he, <laughs> he thinks like, because he's like Polly, that that means that he's not just like fucking around all the time. Polly is very real thing, but there are ways to do it and ways to not. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> she knows. <laughs> but so after all that, I'm, I'm talking to Jennifer and she was like, well, you know, this Freudian idea that we all have that we date our dad and we date our mom is she's like, it's not exactly right. She's like, what the reality is looks much more like we are attracted to mates who share 
the worst qualities with one or both of our parents. Because we think that if we can master those qualities in a person as an adult, then we can fix our child selves. We can fix our childhood. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Reevaluate, sink in. <laughs> yeah, goes right in. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Thank you, mom. You're a narcissist with a mindfulness complex. And now this is my kryptonite. Um, <laughs> wow. So, you know, it's helpful to at least recognize your problems, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that not every person is like this, but I will say every person I have told that Jenniferism to has been like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. That, that sort of thing, when you think about, I think about that all the time of how our childhoods subconsciously and consciously affect us. And somebody said, you can blame things on your childhood until you're 30 and then you have to stop. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, that's just hitting me. I think in modern day society, 30 is about the marker of where adulthood truly begins. Yeah, totally. You know? Um, <laughs> maybe 40 can we push it <laughs> can we is it just millennials forever till we die I don't know we're I still in know. so much debt <laughs> yeah it's a it's a weird it's a weird life you were talking about earlier our generation and how our non-technology and then technology and that dichotomy give me more thoughts on our generation and the millennials oh man like in terms of technology, like, man, did we have it easy. I look at Gen Z. I look at my three nieces. I write yeah. for teen folk. Like, being entrenched and understanding Gen Z is a big part of my job and also something that I am passionate about. And, like, I look at the way that they communicate and it scares me totally. And I think a huge part of that is because I remember what it didn't like to have be like it what it wasn't like to have a cell phone and then I remember what happened as a teenager getting it and like the fact like think about MySpace top eight and oh how God. many like social nightmares that created yeah. and it was literally a, just a public list of your favorite people ranked in order that you would change when like Becky didn't let you sit next to her at lunch and everyone would cry about it for a week and a half and because your world is so small and there's always going to be bullying and, and stuff like that at that age. But does it have to be on such a public forum? Mm -hmm. Like, does it have to be written down? Because everything's more intense when you see totally. it visually, right? And, and everything's just more intense at that age. And they've never known anything but that. Yeah. At least we could kind of see the difference. And at least like at school it wasn't on our phone too. You had to go home and log onto the desktop in your parents' living room to like see what someone wrote on your right. like MySpace page that was maybe mean. You know, the whole school wasn't reading it immediately in class as it happened. And it's a completely different kind of trauma and kind of like culturalization. Yeah. But also on the other side of that token, social media has given them this insane opportunity to have role models that they never would have had access to and like super diverse role models. And we talk about the importance of seeing ourselves represented and there is no greater representation or opportunity for representation than social media. And now like some child who's struggling with their gender identity in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Tennessee, like doesn't yeah. just have a trans world model to look up to. They like know that it's even a thing. Right. There's like even right. a word for it because before then they just thought they were freaks. 
They just thought they were different. They just didn't understand it. It's so powerful to have words and role models to put towards your like feelings as a kid. Yeah. It, I feel like there's equally as many ways that it's better and wonderful as there are challenges and it's like anything, I guess. There's probably like way more worse things yeah. than there are good things about it. But <laughs> I think that is really expansive though. Cause I, I grew up in a small town in Michigan and didn't really have the expanders to know what was possible for me. And it's been hard for me to believe that like, Oh, that is something I could possibly do. But with the internet, I don't know. I feel like I would have had more, but I, I saw movies. I, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting thing to, well, then it's also like, you know, think about what we like looked and dressed like when we were 13 and what 13 year olds look into. Like they're all like Instagram models now. And they like, like Brandy Melville, it, it looks so much different than our limited to right. right, right. You know, we were in like glitter long cargo and skirts, yes. and they look like Victoria's Secret models. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, of course, I fully support like dress however you want, and this is the culture, and this is the style, and this is what makes you feel good and trendy and cute. But it's definitely an indicator of what social media has done to youth and to perceptions of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of what our phones do to the youth, what does your phone do to the 30-year-old person? <laughs> How, what is your, we're in the Little Space Lounge right now. What is your current relationship to your phone and social media being a person who uses it for work? Yeah, it's rough. And I have a really conflicted relationship with social media. It has allowed me the career that I have. I ha used to have to be extremely active, right? Just to work within the algorithm. You have to post a lot to get anybody to see anything. But I realized how toxic it was for my mental health if overdone. And that was a big part of the burnout that I had last year, I think. And a big part of my recovery was not going on social media. And I've been taking sort of like blackouts and not like two days, but like weeks. And than not going onto social media and posting and being like, I took a three week blackout yeah. and here is what I learned. Like, and I, you know, if you want to go do that, that's great. And I'm sitting here talking about what I learned. Right. But I think that we need to be more mindful about the way that we're, that we're doing it. And the reason we're actually taking these breaks and being mindful about what we're truly learning instead of just like missing the app yeah. or like taking photos to post later. I see people do that a lot. They're like, well, while I was gone, here's all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it can be, it's an extra layer of weird for me, I think, because what I talk about is so vulnerable and public. So often I, I give people a space to talk about their stuff. So because I talk about my own rape, whenever I do that, I'll get hundreds of DMs from mm -hmm. people telling me their stories. And I am so grateful and moved that anyone want, feels safe like sharing that kind of stuff with me. But, And I used to think that I had to read everyone and respond to everyone and engage in conversation with everyone because I was like, well, I'm so honored that they even think they can share this. And... I obviously have realized that that is not a sustainable thing for me. And now I don't even open them anymore. And I will say publicly sometimes, I'm like, thank you all for the messages. I see them coming in. Unfortunately, I can't even read them as a form mm -hmm. of self-preservation, but I hope that writing it helped you. Yeah. Because I think for me, writing stuff down, even just to myself, 
can be really healing and help me help me figure yeah. stuff out. Even writing down my Instagram captions. That's something yeah. social media's done that's great for me. I wrote a whole book about that. I wrote a book no. about journaling. <laughs> do you you obviously are a writer and a wonderful writer. Is writing cathartic for you? And do you journal outside of work that you publish? Yeah. I think if writing isn't cathartic for a writer, then like you are like SOL, but like are you just in it for the booze? Like what's the deal? But yeah, writing has been how I process my trauma basically and in my public life and in my personal life when I'm dealing with something a, a painful relationship with a friend or a family member or with myself I'll often write a letter to that person and whether I send it or not is relevant but it really has helped me so healing yeah it I really is and it's something that I oftentimes don't intend to send and after I write it I'm like oh you know what like th this would be good for them to hear or like, let me rearrange this a little bit. Right. So perhaps it's more empathetic or perhaps it's more whatever, but the core of it, well, that really helps. And dealing with my trauma, both through right, like publishing pieces and on social media helps because it helps me create a community around it. And it's really, really helpful to have a thousand other people stand up and be like, I understand exactly what that feels like. Oh my God, you help me understand that aspect of myself or whatever it may be. Yeah, it goes back to your work that we were talking about earlier with the stories that you share of other women. It's helping people feel less alone. I think ultimately that's what any art, any good art does. You know, it, it takes something hard and puts it into a place where people can see it and enjoy it and connect with it and talk about it. And I don't know. I think that's the most, that's like the only thing worth living for, you know, is to connect over being a person's really hard. Yeah. And I think we're in a time right now that's like really hard and scary and everyone's emotions are really heightened in like whatever form or capacity that might be, right? Everyone is feeling it and we need to let it out, right? Like we need to cry. We need to talk. We need to share our feelings. And if one person does it, then two people do it. Then 10 people mm -hmm. do it. And and if not, it gets stuck and you turn to coping mechanisms and you're going to have to let it out eventually. So, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean it's always comfortable or pretty or packaged in art even just to a it friend. It shouldn't and, be comfortable ever. Right. Otherwise you're not doing the right. work. <laughs> okay. I have so much I want to ask you, but I'm going to do get into these quick fire ones, but yeah, some yeah. of them are, are not that quick. But I'll warm you up. I'm with like an easy really one. bad at succinct answers. I whined and it's ramble. okay. Great. <laughs> same, same. Okay. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. Oh God, I love food so much. Oh, there's this like vegan place. Well, it's not vegan, and this thing is is has meat in it. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of vegan stuff, and they're gluten free. But it's a lamb witch on gluten free bread that is from Honey High, and it's amazing. Oh yeah, I love Honey High. Honey High, so, so good. good, so good, and so Echo good. Park. Yes, right by my house. Where you live. What's a piece of music or a song or something you've been listening to in the last week or month that you've been liking? Mm, Amber Mark. Everything Amber Mark, but especially Space, which is one of her newer tracks. It's very good. Favorite part of your life right now? My nieces. Mm. And like feeling, <laughs> feeling old hanging out with them. <laughs> Gosh, I wish you were my aunt and I was then because that you really would like next level cool. We have so much fun together. <laughs> so cool. 
you do so many things we've we've mentioned. You also have a store, which I didn't even mention, yeah, which I yeah. want everything from. Do you want to talk about that for oh, a yeah, second? Oh, yeah, I'll mail you some stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll run down real briefly. Um, it's called Kid Bell, kidbell.com. And we partner artists and notable people with nonprofits. And then we make all kinds of different things charitably and ethically and sustainably for those nonprofits. And it's really kind of blown up and we are trying to do fundraising right now and like take it to the next level. And I have very small but mighty team of like five of us and we do these events all over the country and we do the store and they support and run everything so I can like come and speak and write and do all these other things. So it's so wonderful. So obviously you do so many things. You wear so many hats. Have you gotten any productivity tips that help you? How do you structure your day? We often talk about morning and evening routines. What's your life like? Yeah, having a balanced routine in the morning, I never really thought was that important until I started doing it. And it's like been game changing. What do you do? So I get up every day at like 6, 37, walk the dog, go to yoga or flip it, depending on what time I actually get up. (laughs) And there's a smoothie place by my house I go to, or I'll just like eat something quick at home. And then I'm in at the office by like 930 and it's great. And I usually will only stay there for, you know, four or five hours. Nobody wants to have their boss around 24 seven. And I'm a total control freak. So it's not good for me to be there all the time either. And there's a lot of my work that I like to get done on my own too. So that's been a really good balance for me is having time scheduled in and out of the office. I also put everything in my calendar. So I'll schedule in like, hey, take two hours of Netflix time and go home at four and you're going to watch Netflix for two hours. And I'm like, okay. And I hold myself accountable. And then I'm like, I'm so glad that I scheduled that in. I also have to exercise in the morning. Like if if I'm going to exercise that day, if I'm going to go to yoga that day, it has to be in the morning because I won't, I just won't do it. It's I'll funny. pretend, but I'll, it'll never happen. I heard someone say in another podcast, they have to schedule in fun. And I was like, that's ridiculous. But I really, especially when I'm going through something hard, my tendency, my depression doesn't manifest as like staying in bed all day. It's like, go, 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 overextend, distract myself, overwork using that addiction as an addiction. And I realized that in the last six months, I hadn't watched TV at all, which is like not, I brought it up in therapy and she's like, okay, we got bigger fish to fry than that you're not watching TV, (laughs) but like, okay, maybe like log into Netflix. And it's so funny that you said to schedule it in. Like, I actually think it would be useful for me. Amanda gave me her HBO password the other day and told me to do that as a task, which I did not do yet. Oh my God, watch high maintenance. I know. The new season, is the new season out? It already, I've already watched all of it. It's, it's been done. out for like two months. Damn. Yeah. It's I lo- so good. See, to be honest with you, I would, I was in a long distance relationship and we would always watch TV together while we were apart. It was like a thing we did in High Mains was our show, which I Were love. you just on the phone? Because I've always wanted to do that, mm-hmm. but I'm like, do you just sit on the phone while pushing no, play at the same like time? No, we would like press play at the same time on the phone and then be like, okay, bye. And then we'd like text the whole time and be like, oh my God, I can't uh, believe the guy did that. Or, okay. There needs to be a platform. Totally. Where people can, you can, I think the movie there starts is, actually. at the same time, but you're also like in the bottom video. Yeah, someone told me about that once, but I have no idea what it's called and I can't plug it right here. But, you know, if you want to sponsor the show, uh, we're open to it. (laughs) Okay, we always talk about pivoting. So when something difficult happens or you're having a bad day, how do you change course? What reminds you to kind of come back? God, pivoting is like the most important in everything, like in your mood and your job. Like all of my work stuff has 
happened because I've learned how to pivot, right? But <sighs> pivoting your mood. I mean, sometimes I just, I think oftentimes before I pivot, I need to just sit in it. I need to let myself stew. Mm-hmm. I need to let my rage out. I need to let, I need to cry. I need to do whatever it is, right? Feel it. I need to feel it. And then I can try to shift. And I have grounding exercises from my therapist. Like you can like look for five things you can see and focus on that while you're breathing and point them out or maybe say them aloud. You can, then you have to think of four things you can touch. And then I think I might be doing this wrong. Oh, three things you can hear. And then two things you can smell. And then one thing you can taste. And as you go down, it just helps you really like get, you have to get grounded. You have to be present. And it takes a second. It takes a couple of minutes. And that helps me. I love that. Singing Thank and you, Jennifer. screaming and crying in my car, however, is probably the most effective thing. I love my car like a true LA person, like a true Angelino. I am in New York like a third of my time and New York is okay, I guess. But I hate not having a car because I need somewhere to let it out. I scream and yeah. I dance and I sing really loud and it's like my happy healing space. It's like my ther- my personal therapy space. It's funny, lately I was... When I moved to New York, I was like, I love that I can walk everywhere and I don't have a car. And it's and it is one of my favorite things about the city. But recently I was missing having a car. I was I think it was I was cold, honestly, and I was missing like being in the hot car or something about that. But I would meditate in my car. I would just like take a moment by myself in my car. And you can't really do that in New York, especially as I shared earlier, I'm not wanting to be in my bar- apartment very much right now. But New York is so stimulating having that like cubby to go to in your day totally i get that yeah it's it's new york is rough man like i like it there and i like you said i love all the walking and that's great and when i tell people like new yorkers about my sort of car qualms there like yeah but you can do all that stuff on the subway nobody cares and i'm like yeah but it's not the same and i don't want to be the person screaming on the subway right like i understand i can and new yorkers will be like great that woman just shit in her hand but like i don't want to do totally and i just yeah, New York is hard. It's. I feel like I, I'm battling that city while I'm there. I was there for three months this past summer and it kind of really shone a light for me. I'm like, oh, you know what? I have to be like more respectful of the speed that I exist at. And even though I do a thousand things, I still have like an LA rhythm yeah. that is just inherently different than New York. Yeah. And, you know, you'll have those really magical New York days where like, You'll Things go meet well. a guy on the street playing a piano and become friends and wander into some crazy gallery and everything's kismet and it's 65 degrees. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of the time, it's just like city juice and like black ice. And <laughs> Somebody said on the podcast, which you just articulated once, that your best days in New York are like euphorically wonderful and your worst days are terribly awful. And I've that's proven true <laughs> in my experience. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Thank you for saying that. Makes me feel less than alone of of how New York feels to me. New York is a lonely place. Yeah. It's incredibly lonely to be surrounded by that many people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking of something else sort of lonely sometimes, greatest lesson on dating. Don't date the worst characteristics of your parents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You gave us a good one. Be mindful of that. Okay, this is like truly one that I am still trying to teach myself and we talked about briefly before is don't try to be somebody else's parent. Don't try to fix someone. 
don't and and to that end and what that really means to me at least is don't put in more than they're capable of giving back. And that doesn't mean that that person needs to always be giving you exactly what you're giving in. You can't both be giving 100% all the time, but your hundreds percents need to match up, yeah. right? And I have always chosen men whose hundred percent is maybe at 30% of mine of what they're capable of giving. And that's not because they didn't love me or they're not good humans. It's because I chose them at a time in their lives when they were really sad because I didn't want to fix myself. Yeah. I wanted to fix them. A distraction. And, exactly. And and again, I haven't dated since I started doing, or anyone serious since I started doing all this work on myself. But then I realized recently that that entire four years and I've been so proud of myself for not doing this, but that entire four years I've been doing it for a friend of mine mm. and a friendship that didn't, where I was never getting what I was, or when I was never getting what I was giving out. And it took, yeah. it wasn't until a couple months ago I realized that. And I was like, shit, I thought I was in the clear, just doing it in a different fashion. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. What an insight to have. Did Jennifer help cultivate that? I came up with it, but as soon as I was like, yeah, I think this person is toxic. She, I've never seen her do this. She goes, oh, thank God. Uh -huh. I was like, how long have you been waiting for me to realize this? She was like, a while. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. Yeah, well, another greatest lesson then, friendship. What have you, what has that experience taught you? To be honest with yourself about, about what you're actually capable of giving and I guess why you're giving it. I think I have to hold myself accountable for like the many ways in which I might overextend how much emotional energy I'm putting into somebody. And yes, that person might want it or need it at that moment, but like it's at the end of the day, it's on me mm -hmm. for giving it out, right? In a friendship, in a romantic relationship, whatever it is. Yeah. So managing that. And then on a secondary note on friendship, like putting in the work for the ones that can span time and distance. Yeah. You know, the friendships where you cannot talk for two months or where in whether you live in the same city or not, it really doesn't matter. But like you can pick back up where you left off or when you cannot see each other for a couple of years and then go visit and it's like your best friends. That it's worth putting in your energy there. And like I said, I try to really reserve my spoons and I try to say no. So that means I've not cut out a lot of people, but really minimize the amount of interaction I have with a yeah. lot of people. And so you have to prioritize. Totally. We often talk about body image on the show and we mentioned your eating disorder. And I know that Roxanne Gay is your mentor and really informed your not feminism. Not my mentor, just my idol. <laughs> but you've also, she she told a story in one of your shows recently, yes, right? on Sunday. How was that? How was meeting her? It was her? amazing. So that was thrown by the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. It was a 10-day festival thrown by them called We Rise. And on the penultimate day of the festival, they asked us to throw us stories of women. So we threw stories of my body, which is very apropos. Yeah. And so what I wanted to explore was the link between our bodies and our mental health and how they each play into one another and support and harm one another. I've been trying to get Roxanne Gay to speak at one of our events since the very first dick pic show. She has taught me more about my feminism and myself than anybody else, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say about someone you didn't know. And she performed and it was like a, just a total dream for me. And she read excerpts from her book, Hunger, which so if you guys have not read, is just an incredible feat of writing. But if you have experienced any kind of sexual trauma, like 
this will teach you so much about yourself and your healing. And it did for me. And, um, Oh, your question was body was image. Body, yeah. body image. Where yes. are you with that now? And what's, what's helped Ooh. you? What helps you when you're having a bad day? You know, all of the therapy and stuff, like I said before, I spent two decades throwing up, not exercising, not eating well, sexually abusing myself through men, putting myself in dangerous situations, all because I didn't want to have a physical form. I was angry my body even existed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be present in it. And I had learned very young how to project out of my body and that that was my normal mode. That was my safe place, right? And so all of these coping mechanisms that were really unhealthy actually became really comforting to me. And it became the only comfortable place I had because otherwise I had to exist in my body and that was dangerous and that was uncomfortable. And so it wasn't until I started dealing with my trauma, it wasn't until I really committed to therapy and got on meds that I was able to let go of some of that stuff. And it's been a really, really slow process, um, really discouraging process. And I'm finally at the other side where, like I said before, I'm going to like hot yoga, like four or five times a week. And I get up early and I go to bed at like nine and I'm this person that I used to like kind of mock. And I'm like, I'm 30 and I love it. Let's go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm 30 flirty and sleeping. Yeah, yes. Yes. That is the title of this episode. Because so <laughs> it's exhausting. But <laughs> Gotta have a lot of spoons for that. Yeah, gotta have a lot of spoons. First dates and internet dating, it's rough. It takes a lot of spoons. It really does. But um, yeah, I'm I'm finally happy being present in my body. I'm finally wanting to make myself stronger instead of prettier or whatever mm. my, you know, societal notion of what pretty means. I'm just taking care of my skin, like these simple things yeah. that really make a huge difference, like your spate, like the beautiful space skin, by the way. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Shout out to my facialist, Yvonne. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> beautiful whole whole thing going. You have great style. What have you learned about style? Um, I've always worked in fashion in some capacity um, and art direction and aesthetics. And so, I mean, even the dick pic show was actually everything I've done has been like set design because stories of women I set up my living room using my stuff again or my bedroom the stage is always somebody's home yeah and so all of that is intermingled for me I feel like I've always had a really specific aesthetic and one that growing up really changed a lot and was sort of based on other people's I tried on all these different identities mm -hmm. Until I kind of was like, oh, wait, I don't want to be any of these. And I just want to be this weird amalgamation of all the like vintage stuff that I like. <laughs> I love that. And that again, that all of that came at the same time. All of that came me finding my style, me finding my voice, me changing my career, me dropping friendships, me getting into my body. All of that came because of trauma and dealing with it and therapy and meds. It's like how, you know, this, the hard stuff, the, the pain we go through to learn these. It wouldn't be so great if we learned through ease and success and fun, but it's, it's usually the really hard things that allow us to grow. And I think that's why we're here. Yeah. Like personal and professional levels. That's totally true. Like when we throw an event and like nothing goes wrong. Well, never nothing goes wrong in an event, right? That's events, but like very few things go wrong or there's no like major problem to solve. I'm always a little disappointed because I'm like, shit, we didn't like, 
solve anything. We didn't learn anything this time, right? Yeah. What was our big takeaway? Whereas we through like a charity carnival once that like had so many problems that I couldn't even list them all. And I walked away devastated for like two weeks. And then it's made everything else I've ever done better. Yeah. You know, and now I look at it with gratitude. Yeah. What about, I was thinking that in terms of leading a team, leading a team, what have you learned about, about that? Oh man, it's hard. And it's hard when you're young and it's hard when you're, starting at a time of you're dealing with intense trauma, right? All of this happened at the fir- at, at the same time. And I think as you or as anyone who's done work on themselves knows, at the very beginning, you get worse, right? You crack yourself open and you become like a hot mess. <laughs> so it was hard to assemble a team and be a good boss and be a good leader and have a vision and impart that while feeling totally messed up and totally unstable. And again, we really didn't have any money. For the first year and a half of all this, we were doing it on my, first out of my bedroom, then out of my living room once there were too many of us. And I messed up a lot. I'm really lucky to have had a team that has, most of which have been with me for like three years. And so we've all grown together and changed together and, and gotten committed to our mental health together and it's been great to see everybody kind of evolve but we are a super intimate weird workplace right there's five of us we're all pretty close we talk about sex and assault and trauma and dating and like your pap smear and like everyone changes in front of each other and one girl wears sweats almost every day but the other day she came in with like devil pasties and a see-through shirt on like we're not a traditional environment (laughs) right because that's not who I am. And I'm like, yeah, be your truest self at work. Like bring who you really are. And I love that. But that also causes a lot of boundary issues. Mm-hmm. They all know all of this insane stuff about my life because I. so does all the internet, mm-hmm. right? So that causes power dynamic issues. Totally, It's hard. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying. Well, it looks like you're yeah. doing a great job. I check in with them a lot. Yeah. That's the big thing. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I try to like, I think no one's going to be totally forthright with their boss, right? Like no matter how much yeah. they're like, it's okay. But I I think for the most part, they they feel okay being like, hey, when you said this that way, it hurt my feelings or I don't have enough time to do that or you're putting too much on my plate so or whatever. Good. So good. I hope. I have to get out of here by like 5.20. Great. Let's, okay. let's tie, let's dock the boat. <laughs> I have a... Uh, plans with my brand new full-time producer that we just hired because we need to bond and she's coming oh, here for the festival tomorrow so I like got us dinner and a show oh, and fun, so fun. fun stuff absinthe it's is it good uh, the internet says it's amazing it's like a raunchy comedy musical great I don't know That'll what that means so but it, I was excited well you'll have to tell me tomorrow yes yes I will tell you tomorrow okay this is just a time at the end to recommend things so books m- movies art that you love music, people, just whatever comes to mind. I already dropped Roxanne Gay's mm-hmm. books and Amber Mark's music. Kelsey Liu's music is incredible, as is Tasha, who's actually performing on the Emerge stage that I'm producing tomorrow. She's really great, and her entire debut album is all about living in a Black femme body and trying to learn to love herself despite the world. She's, she's super incredible. 
Go listen to her. It's like perfect sleeping on the plane kind of music. Oh, great. I've been really into reading autobiographies of women I admire. Becoming was really great. The Anita Hill document, I mean, uh, autobiography is really good. And I just started Dolly Parton's, which has the best like opening dedication that I've ever read. It was so smart and weird. And to, I think most people would seem totally innocuous, but she said, thank you. To, I, or thank you. I dedicate this to my friends, my family, and my God. Because mm. she didn't say God, and she said my God, and it was so specific. And I think anyone who would have a problem with that wouldn't notice it. But to a lot of people, it really means something. Yeah. It's just an interesting way to start. Where are you with God's spirituality? What happens when we die? I'm agnostic. I think I truly don't think that there really is anything and I think that we're enough and I think that's fine and I believe in energy right and but I am agnostic because I think it's sort of the height of hubris to say that I'm atheist and to say that I know mm-hmm, for certain totally. that some, that there's nothing because I think it's the height of hubris to say you know I am Catholic and I know for certain that this mm-hmm. is that I don't think right none of us can know and believe whatever you'd like but don't force that on anybody yeah. else. And so I could never do that with my atheism yeah. either, right? For sure. All right. Well, this podcast is called Let It Out. Do you feel like you've had someone let something out to you that's made you feel less alone, something vulnerable? Yeah. I mean, the hundreds and thousands of messages I get from people being vulnerable that I don't that I can't bring myself to read the fact that that exists and that that's there is like the entire reason that I get up and do anything. Mm. So yeah. thank you to all of the world or yeah. not all of the world, but the like followers yes. that I have that send me stuff. I appreciate you. <laughs> is there anything that you wished I would have asked about that I didn't, that you never get to share? Did I squeeze you for all your juice? No, no, I still have spoons left. You're good. Great. Um, I think maybe Phew. you gave me some, I don't know. Oh, he was right. Great. It's therapy. Like good. I just want you to feel cozy. Yeah, I do. This pillow is great. Great. Um, <laughs> no, no, I think we covered like a gamut of stuff. And and I think, as you know, I'm pretty open. So <laughs> let's end with a deep breath. Great. Okay, ready? Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> Thank you so much, Whitney. You're Thank beautiful you. inside and out. And your work is so meaningful to me. I'm so happy we met. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we met. I can't wait to see you again tomorrow. I know. Me too. Yeah. Isn't Whitney great? I really enjoyed her. I hope you liked this episode. At the end of the episode, I'll tell you the emoji to comment on our Instagrams to let us know you were listening all the way to the end. But for now, let me tell you my likes and learns. So this week, what I've been liking, it's been a holiday weekend. So I went back to Michigan for a little bit. One of my best friends from college married an Australian person and was back in Michigan for her brother's wedding. So I went there to see her and I was I was feeling really emotional about the whole trip, but I ended up just being really present and I let go of all the routines that I normally do, all of the work, all of the ways that I am rigid and I just leaned in to resting. I hurt my foot, which maybe you saw on Instagram. So I've been just icing it and sitting and I haven't been walking or exercising or doing any of the things that I normally do. I was like stripped of everything that made me feel like I was in control because ultimately we're not in control. So 
that's something I guess I've been liking and learning and it hasn't been easy. But I think when we can lean into the uncontrollable nature of life, that's, that's all we can do. And it makes it a little bit easier. You know, what we resist persists, I guess. And then what I've been learning is to follow the charm, which is something that my meditation teacher told me years ago, but was kind of reintroduced to me when I went on this podcast, previous podcast guest of this podcast. I did this conversation about the show Accidentally Brave and the director of that show, Kristen, has a podcast with her good friend, Natalie. It's called Let's Play. And I was a guest on it last week. And so I'll link to that if you want to listen to it. It's such a great podcast. And I think you would really like it. I listened to their episode with Josh Radner, who's been on this podcast, who we love. And it was so good. And on that episode, I was telling them like when I feel lost and like I have so much I want to do, but I'm not sure where to start. And I'm just feeling anxious and overwhelmed. And she just kind of slowed me down. She was like, just follow the charm. What feels charming to you right now? And we went and got dinner after we recorded the episode. And she was so inspiring to me. We had this lovely meal. We like shared a salad and a bottle of wine and some toast. And it was so lovely. And then we were leaving and she was like, you know, it feels charming to me to go and and get a macchiato. I'm going to go and get a macchiato. And it just felt the way she said it was just like, oh yeah, she's just going to do what's charming to her. Why don't I do that all the time? And she's just someone I loved being around. And maybe that's useful to you in some way this week, maybe following the charm, being less rigid. It's always useful when I do it. It's very uncomfortable, but I know it's a better way to be. I think when we're so rigid, we're more easily breakable. And when we're more flexible, we're more malleable and resilient. And I think it's better for everyone, including ourselves. This episode is supported by Care of Vitamins. I've been using Care of for years. I love them so much. Spring into a healthy routine with the winter blues coming to an end, it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your best. Give yourself the support you need this season with a little boost. Maybe you're looking for more energy or better sleep or to lessen your stress, something to help you feel better, to maybe give you some of those gaps in nutrition that you might have that supplements can be really useful for. With Care of, you just go to their website, you take a brief quiz that asks you questions about your sleep and your poop and your stress. And from there, it curates a vitamin pack that's right for you. And it delivers them right to your door in beautiful packaging personalized with your name on it. They even have protein powder now that I've been loving. And I think you really will too. Check them out for 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com and enter the code KD30 at checkout. That's KD30, K-A-T. T-I-E 30. And again, 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com and enter the code Katie 30. Not to brag, but I got the most beautiful diffuser. It's an essential oil diffuser that's made of ceramic. It's lovely and it really elevates my mood to be diffusing essential oils. I love this company, Vertruvi. They make these ceramic beautifully designed 
essential oil diffusers. Like I said, I have the black, but they also come in white, which is the most popular one. But all of their essential oil products help you to live in a more natural and sophisticated way. Their products are designed to elevate your home and give you more ritual in your day. Everything is 100% pure. You can customize your blend, something to wake you up in the morning or to help you go to sleep. And they are just this great company. I love the founder, Sarah. I'm so happy to be partnering with them. And if you guys haven't gotten a diffuser or have been wanting to try it, this is the one to try because it really elevates your space. It's so chic. I love it. I just, it's a nice ritual to add to my day. And I think you guys would like it too. Use the code let it out for 20% off your order. Again, that's vertruvi.com and use the code let it out to get 20% off. I'm going upstate this week for a little work retreat and I'm going to be leaving right now, but I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, I'm launching a really big thing this summer, something I've been working on for over a year and I can't wait for you to see it, but hopefully I'll see a lot of you guys on July 17th in Williamsburg and mark your calendars, save the date, August 14th. It's a Wednesday night in Manhattan. I'm doing something really special. You should come. You should come visit New York. If you're in New York, definitely come. I would love to see you. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. The emoji for this week's episode is... I had to go and look one up, but I just picked the first emoji I saw Whitney use on her Instagram, which was the girl raising her hand. So let's do the blonde girl raising her hand in honor of Whitney and her beautiful blonde hair. I'll talk to you guys next week. Comment that on her Instagram, on my Instagram to let us know you were listening all the way to the end. Thank you so much. If you want to be on the show notes email list, let me know. If you want to be on my general email list, you can be as well. I love you guys. It means so much that you listen every week. If you really do like this podcast, share it with someone who you think would find it entertaining or useful and leave a review on iTunes. That helps a ton. And support the sponsors. I love Retruvi and Carev. I genuinely use them all the time. And Baruka's Nuts and all the Emmys, all the sponsors. You guys know the codes. When you support them, it really supports this show and you can also show your support by donating on patreon we do a lot of cool things for our patreon community and i want to build that more this year so there's lots of options to support the show but the biggest one is just listening and subscribing on your phone so thank you so much and i'll talk to you guys next week love you bye